Our high school guidance counselor used to ask us what you would do if you had a million dollars. Didn't have to work. And then invariably, whatever you'd say, that was supposed to be your career. So if you wanted to fix old cars, then you're supposed to be an auto mechanic. So what did you say? I never had an answer. I guess that's why I'm working at Initech. No, you're working at Initech because that question is bull to begin with. If everyone listened to her, there'd be no janitors because no one would clean up if they had a million dollars. If I had a million dollars. If I had a million dollars. Talking about millions of dollars. What would you do if you had a million dollars? Tell you what I'd do, man. Two chicks at the same time, man. We're living in a material world and I am a material girl. Or boy. Well, what about you now? What would you do? Besides two chicks at the same time? Well, yeah. Nothing. Nothing, huh? I would relax. I would sit on my ass all day. I would do nothing. Well, you don't need a million dollars to do nothing, man. Take a look at my cousin. He's broke, don't do If I had a million dollars. If I had a million dollars. Well, I'm up by Jacks. I'm tomorrow. Andrew on the board. SV Futures up 20. NASDAQ Futures up 112. We're trying to make a, uh, a move to the upside here, which we've had nothing but lousy days here. Dow up 92. We'll see if that works. Uh, <laughs> Although we're a little late this morning, only because the uh, um, Chicago had the storm again yesterday, last night, and the uh, whole city's like kind of underwater. Thank God it's water, not snow. A few miles to the north, they've got massive problems up in Minnesota, Wisconsin, and other places. But we dodged that. We just got a lot of rain. Uh, so I was surprised to see Andrew at the bus sort of rapid transit stop as early as he was. They figured the CTA would be all a, all a, a flutter, but they, uh, they were only a little bit late. We have Mr. Lou. Good morning, sir. We, oh, uh, we had a touch of snow here, but uh, nothing, uh, nothing unmanageable. Looks like uh, looks like the mountains got hammered, though. So I'm, uh, I guess I'm glad. I'm glad to see that. Well, they got uh, whiteout conditions all the way across Wisconsin, Minnesota, Dakota, and I guess actually even in Southern California, they got a blizzard. Blizzard warning somewhere in the mountains. There, it's crazy. Yeah, the um, the southern the southern mountains apparently. So uh, that's um, I mean that's that's all good. If they could figure out a way to track the uh, to track the water, mm-hmm. track the water, they'd be uh, they'd be in better shape. But um, yeah, we got uh, you know watching this play out, um, and I, and I don't know whether it's because we have more traffic or just people are idiots, but. Um, I seventy, which is the is the main east west thoroughfare through uh, through Denver uh, or through uh, Colorado, basically shuts down any time you get any snow at all. Now, um, cars, trucks without chains, um, they they have a chain law that goes into effect, uh, and and the Department of Transportation here just at this point just throws their hands up and shuts the shuts the interstate down, and and you know. I talk to my friends here and who are up there skiing, and and they say, yeah, you you can be in your car for five or six hours, and this is a regular event because they can't manage or the road cannot manage the traffic that's coming through there if there's any kind of slick or bad driving uh, conditions. The people can't uh, get out of the way of the trucks. The trucks can't get out of the way of the cars. I, I don't know what the story is. But every every time there's a there's a, a snowfall, you know, of, of any like a half an inch or more, uh, I-70 shuts down. the The road yesterday was so badly congested that it was effectively impossible to get out of a couple of small towns that uh, that sit on that on that corridor. 
uh, Georgetown and uh, I found one's called Silverthorne that were just you know, blocked. You know, nobody could get, out, could get in and out of the towns because all of your, even the frontage roads uh, eventually run out of room along that little gorge that the uh, that the interstate runs along, and you you end up on the interstate if you want you want to get out of there, and they can't. They, they, they had the traffic completely locked solid yesterday. So they've talked about widening I-70. And if you've ever driven that road, you know that the canyon there is, you know, completely blocks any kind of uh, lateral expansion of the, of the highway. Well, you probably so had, a, you had a, probably had to exp- use dynamite to blow part of the canyon away for the road in the first place. Well, that's that's right, and that's what they're going to, they're talking about doing, and you can imagine what that's going to do into how long that will take uh, to, uh, to complete, and at, and at what cost. And, and remember, there is a significant anti-vehicle uh, faction here in Colorado that does not want any, I mean, in fact, basically put the word out about, uh, I think three or four months ago, that they were going to stop doing maintenance on a number of of uh, thoroughfares in an effort to force people to riding their bikes or taking mass transit here. Um, well, mass transit is not that good, but it's, uh, you know, we, we keep... We, we have the same, I mean, ironically, the Colorado has the same issues with mass transit that Chicago does, or Denver does anyway, and that is crime. They will not, you know, you want to force people onto buses or, or the, the light rail here, Hey, that's great, but you know you have a significant contingent of, of homeless on those things, and a significant crime issue, and and so and they won't the, the city will not um, take the steps that it that it needs to to clean that up and and, and keep those those places as comfortable and safe for uh, for the riders. Well, I don't uh, I don't I mean I I clearly do not understand. I was in economics, which is a be- behavioral science, right? Especially in the arts and letters school. But it's I don't I don't get the so what's going on sociologically or psychology in this country. I really don't. I mean, obviously we talk about it on the show a lot with a lot of different people. But <coughs> to me, there's um, it's it's an, it's insane world. But just just in terms of real quick on the interstates, I mean, you you get around. Uh, I don't know how much driving you do, and I don't do as much as I used to. But I used to. We had clients in different places and uh, those kinds of things. I would drive a lot. And uh, it was obvious that as the population has built, the standard interstate between two cities, which is essentially two-lane, right? You got, And most of the time, the people are in the right lane, and you got guys passing their goofballs going a million miles an hour in the left lane. But uh, it's, it's been very obvious to, to me for a long time that in some of these areas, clearly Chicago to Milwaukee, two lanes wasn't enough. I mean, and I think over a period of time that has been expanded to three. If you ever drive, and I did this a couple times because we had a uh, client, uh, actually somebody we were trying to hire in, in uh, Cleveland, and I had to drive from Cleveland to Columbus a couple of times. This is 10 years ago. I mean, there, there was never a time where it was, you know, a bunch of slumps in the right lane, and once in a while you pass somebody in the left lane. It was, it was both lanes were pretty much full, like an expressway, all the way from Cleveland to Columbus. And I maybe the same way from uh, Columbus to Cleveland or uh, Cincinnati. I didn't didn't take that leg, but it, it it was clearly that not we're not talking about you know I eighty in the middle of Nebraska to the point where you needed a third. And there's no way you know, when when sort of when when snow happens on an interstate highway thirty years ago, 
everybody be in the right lane. There, it'd be worn down, and, and, uh, and you'd have like almost ruts, for lack of a better term, but you could putter along at 30 or 40 miles an hour. Well, if you got all that kind of traffic, where the hell are they going to go? I mean, there's no way you're going to... It's it's, and I, and I think all over the place in this country, you find, I mean, if you take the interstate from what was it Atlanta to Nashville, God's sake, Lou, that was like t- driving the Dan Ryan for how many hours? That was that was not a few people yeah. bumping along. And I mean, we're talking about expansion of <coughs> people driving on these things, as as your airfares have gotten expensive and not as reliable as you've allowed that thing to become even more of a cartel than it was. You've you've pretty much lost train stuff unless you're unless you're either in the Northeast, you can get some stuff out of Chicago. Other than that, it's basically tourists on the train. I mean, so you're well, not. No, I mean we don't have, and, and and I think from a regulatory perspective, we've actually discouraged long range trail or train transport here. And and I mean there there would be a market for you know high speed rail. That would go downtown to downtown, between you know places like Chicago and, and Milwaukee and and along that along that northeast corridor, but you know out here, even in a high speed, there's not enough traffic between Colorado Springs and Denver, for example, or Cheyenne, which are the biggest cities in in this you know easy one day you know three or four hour trip kind of, kind of uh, options. There's not enough traffic. Between those between those cities to justify a high speed rail. In fact, there there are only a few places in the United States where you have enough people moving between cities to, to justify that. There kind there of, are kind of they haven't they have they actually haven't changed. Lou, I was at Pullman again how many years ago? At that time, people had identified those corridors that actually could have. Obviously, you have California along the coast, very high populated. You have the Cleveland to Cincinnati corridor. You have the Chicago to Milwaukee to Detroit corridor. I mean, there's, but the but the issues remain the same. I mean, it, when the when the rails were, were were built here, there was never segregated passenger rail. Now the only places that you have high speed rail. I mean, when I say high speed, I mean ninety miles an hour rail, which is pretty fast. Which, by the way, all your all your train cars are designed to be one hundred twenty miles an hour. They just never go that fast. But I mean, you're not you're not gonna you're not gonna take Hey, look what happened to that freight train in Ohio with one with one bad truck. I mean, you're, you're not going to run a a, a a passenger train 95 miles an hour over over a rail that just had 15 freight trains clumping along on it. I mean, you, it's just not no, that's safe. Right. Well, I mean, and that's not even that's not even the the biggest issue. The biggest issue are the crossings. Yeah, the crossings. There's no there's no doubt. If you if you ever took a train in Germany, every single Road either goes under or over the track. Nobody, nobody clumps across across it. And when, and when we when we built the stuff here, we had we had no idea. I mean, like I said I was talking to Hal this week and saying that every every uh, dirty trick, every mistake was ever made in this country is was was made in railroading. Every slime ball, every way of screwing people out of money was was it, this was all done in the seventies and eighties. I mean, you you can't imagine a trick today that those guys didn't pull, and then the first corporations. Oh no, I'm, I'm I'm sure of it. I mean, I mean, this is, and I want to I want to move on to a Supreme Court case yeah. yesterday after we finish this discussion. But this uh, is a classic example of what happens, and, and it's something that I don't think very many government officials are aware of. 
But when you have an entity that was the subject of as much regulatory capture as the railroads, you developed a, a cadre of attorneys and management officials who were literally experts at gaming everything the government wanted to do. And when those regulations got lifted, what was it in the, when we abandoned the Interstate Commerce Commission? Seventy three, seventy four. When we took all that off the table, you're, you suddenly had a bunch of people who were really sharp, who knew how to how to play the government game, who had all these network connections within within the federal system and, and within state systems to to uh, take advantage of any loophole angle, whatever. And you had regulators at a, at, a, at a different level who simply were not accustomed to dealing with this kind of expertise and got, and got for lack of a better term, railroaded. You well, know, they, they, got, they got completely uh, um, cut off. Uh, the people making the decisions were miles ahead of where the, the regulators were. And, and, you know, the end result is this crazy mishmash of, you know, train you know, depots and road crossings and grades and everything else that, that you know, the, the guys doing the regulation didn't want to didn't want to pay for. Well passenger was never passenger was never a, a priority. Um, it was on some of the main in the main lines, but it was never priority. It was always freight. And the idea of, of running a, a passenger train through Michigan City in the middle of the night at hundred miles an hour, I mean it's not gonna happen. Well I mean, well, but, but, I mean look at it, look at it from this perspective. Back in the day, when the only way you could get from, or at least reliably, the only way you could get from L.A. to New York was by rail. You know, in the 1920s and 1930s, I mean, planes were, and then before, obviously, the 1920s, planes were, were a little, you know, suspect. You could not travel as a passenger from L.A. to New York without stopping for, I think, at least 12 hours in Chicago. And that was that was deliberate. That was that was the influence of of uh, the Chicago political machine to divert all rail traffic into Chicago. It wasn't it wasn't there intercontinental passenger. It, uh, it was not the, it was not the political machine. It was just the way Chicago was was the crossroads of the nation because of the way the lake is. That's one of the reasons we'll, we'll move on. Yeah, other but stuff, for but passengers, it was possible if you were a pig. You could be loaded onto a, a car in New York and shipped straight across the country without having to go through Chicago. It only uh, applied to passenger rail. Uh, not exactly. As a matter of fact, the uh, one of the reasons why Kansas City was a big, uh, big auto assembler, they used to assemble Oldsmobiles down there, was because I think it's the, uh, the hell line is it? It's not the Monon. Uh, I'll think of it. Uh, they actually ran a, ran a a, uh, a train from what's the uh, I'll think of the passenger train uh, it was a, was famous it was a f- song about it. They actually had a, a direct line <coughs> from Detroit to Kansas City through uh, Central Indiana and Central Illinois. So that that train line is what created the the assembly plant of uh, Oldsmobile down in Kansas City. And, uh, but I'll take but it. But not, I, I read. I've read several articles on this. If you want, if you were a, if you were a person, you had you had to travel, and you wanted to go intercontinental across the across the U.S. from from coast to coast. 
you had to stop in Chicago. If otherwise, I mean, you could you could assemble the trip. If if you were on if you were on the if you were on the big boy trains, if you were on just a regular you old train, assemble, you could assemble a trip that did not involve stopping in Chicago, but it took something like twice as long. Well, sure it did, because your your, your express trains. If you're going to come from L.A. and you're going to New York, if you're a big shot like you are, you would have taken the Super Chief to Chicago, Santa Fe, all Pullman. It'd have been a great ride. And as soon as you got to Chicago, you'd have hopped your fanny on either the Broadway Limited or the 20th Century yeah, Limited. But there was and, no, but there was at least a 12 hour, 12 hour layover. Yeah, you, know, that. you know, I don't know, I don't know what time the Super Chief pulled in. I know, <clears throat> I know by heart where the other ones, Lou. The Broadway Limited and the 20th Century Limited were competing high-class train from Chicago to New York, and they both left. One left right here by the exchange, where you've been, the Rock Island Station, uh, LaSalle Street Station, that was 20th Century. They left at 6.05 or something. As the, as the Broadway Limited pulled out of Union Station, they would race down to Inglewood, and they would both stop at the Inglewood Station, Union Station, but it was in Inglewood, and they would stop there together, and they would leave at 6.25 from there, and they would race down along the lakefront until the tracks split. And they would pull into New York at the exact same time, like 9 o'clock the next morning. They averaged over 60 miles an hour from here to New York. They only had like four stops, both of them. And, and you had the club car. Lou, if, if you and I could have a time machine and went back to the 50s, the first thing I'd drag you behind to do is you and I would hop on one of the two and we'd go to the club car because everybody in the country was anybody was in that club car. Oh, no, I know. I know. I mean, I've read that again. I, mean, I, was, I can't remember what I was reading this article for, but um, it, it, it may have been when I was working on, uh, we were working on trying to get a, a new uh, car manufacturing operation in Chicago. This was, this was, you know, five or six years ago. But anyway, I, let, let me let me switch topics here. We only, we only got a minute, but uh, go ahead, start it up. All right. The Supreme Court issued an opinion yesterday on overtime, which is. It's just a, a straightforward uh, opinion that that it's that that was something that I had warned we warned about on this show several times, and that is the, the overtime, how you calculate overtime for employees, and the fact that it's possible for an employer to transfer even the most high level executive into an hourly worker or an overtime worker, irrespective of how much you're paying them. If you if you are paying them on an hourly rate, if you're not if you're not paying them a, a salary, and so this is a this was a huge hit because the, the person involved was making more than two hundred thousand dollars a year on an hourly, but working you know in some cases eighty eighty to you know, eighty four hours a week, and the employer for some although they considered this guy an executive because he was he was making managerial level decisions inexplicably. Just paid him on an hourly basis. They they took however much he worked, how many hours he worked that week, and and set this hourly rate. And his pay was adjusted based on the number of hours that he worked. And the Supreme Court said we don't we don't care that he's making two hundred thousand plus a year, and we don't care that he's exercising these managerial decisions. If you pay somebody an hourly rate on an hourly basis, you have transformed them into a non what's called a non exempt worker. And they are owed overtime for every hour over forty that they work in a week. Lou, how did uh, when I first got out of grad school, and I won't go into what year that was, people loved to go to work for Ford because they actually, this is in the finance group, you go for Ford analyst. Uh, 
they love to go to work for Ford because you got a, a salary of you know nineteen grand a year or whatever the hell it was. It wasn't very much. But if they work Saturday, they all got overtime too. Ford always paid overtime for salaried workers. It 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 can be done. It has to be done in a particular way. And so you would characterize the uh, the overtime or the excess time on Saturday work as some type of bonus. But what you couldn't do is tie it to uh, an hourly schedule. So if you worked the what you have what you have to do is maintain what's called the salary basis. And the salary basis is a fixed amount of compensation paid per week uh, on, a, on a work week basis irrespective of how many hours you actually work. And then if you want to throw something else on top of that for an extra day worth of work, you can do that, but you can't tie it to uh, the, the number of hours that they, that they actually work. The, the, the test for overtime eligibility, and really it's, it's, the, it's called a test between exempt and non-exempt work, is whether you are making decisions at a management level, that's the first part of it, so your job requires management type uh, decision making and and and, um, and effort, and then the second part is: Are you being paid on this salary basis? And you have to have both to be exempt from. It from sounds overtime. like sounds like some horse bleep rule that the management thought of because if you've got fifty managing people and you lay off ten of them, so the other forty have to work on Saturdays. I think you should pay them a little. <laughs> but maybe it's my blue collar mentality, but. The idea that they should work on Saturdays for, quote, free when you just laid off half the people, I, I don't buy that. They, you owe them something. They're, they're doing more. No, you don't. As long as you're paying, as long as you're paying them um, as I said, a, a, above a certain fixed rate, you are, you are required there. You can work as many hours as you want. And, and that, you know, that, that's, how, that's how, obviously, how I work, as a, and I work as an attorney. I'm, I'm paid a fixed rate, irrespective of how many hours I. I mean, there are weeks where I work sixty hours. There are weeks where well, I'm I saying work, you're going to you know. get blowback on this. We got because wait a minute, I got to work an extra day. I need something extra. I guess the right way to do it would be give everybody a raise. What you're saying, but but that's that's not what you know. Well, again, remember this is the Fair Labor Standards Act. The statute was put in place in 1937, and it was it was a direct, as I, I've said many times, it's the job of the Fair Labor Standards Act was to introduce an efficiency into the workplace so that so that you would um, it, it became suddenly economic it made economic sense for you to hire more people rather than pay overtime I would uh, when we come work. back from break I'm, I'll explain to you some of the studies they did at Pullman and, and they actually made some of this made sense so SB, SB futures of 21 NASDAQ futures of 117 big movers we got NVIDIA up 21 bucks. They said they're doing pretty good on the on the high-end chips. Uh, we have Alibaba up uh, up 6 bucks, which is 6%. They came out and said they were doing better, too. Not so sure why I would ever inv- invest in a Chinese company, but some people are this morning. Be right back. Stocks and Jacks. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox. The control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to gauge the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other decision. And Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with relevant trade ideas, and equips you with cutting-edge tactics you don't already know. 
Luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on pursuing life, luxury, and happiness through sports, fitness, travel, food, spirits, music, and a whole lot more. Smart investors don't bet on possibilities, they play the probabilities. Luckbox is $7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Don't rely on luck, get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Is your business being challenged by the complexities surrounding healthcare reform or other matters related to human resources management? If so, then Cognos HR can help. A longtime friend and contributor to the Stocks and Jocks radio program, Cognos HR provides its clients with a perfect blend of strategic consulting and day-to-day HR management to drive overall improvement in business performance. Companies that join the Cognos HR family are better able to manage healthcare costs, enhance benefit offerings, and improve employee satisfaction by leveraging our access to Fortune 500 benefits. Our innovative onboarding and payroll technology, along with our constant attention to detail, enables us to provide the highest level of quality service to our clients. Now, your time and energy can be focused on generating business and increasing your bottom line. We'll take care of the rest. For more information, call us at 630-401-8810 or search us on the web at CognosHR.com. Cognos HR, innovation and human resources. Licensed in Illinois and Arizona. Hello, this is Tom Howell, the Chief. Confused about investing these days? I suspect you are not alone. Investing was never easy, although at times it may have seemed so. I think one reason behind the current concern, although maybe not explained as such, is how the fluctuation in the American dollar and the associated politics is affecting your investments and your wealth. It may not be enough to make some money in your investments. You may need now to make enough to exceed the amount that your leadership is depreciating the value of the dollars you've worked your whole life to accumulate. That same leadership has seen fit to maneuver risk-free interest rates to near zero. Providing positive risk-averse returns in a zero-interest and declining real-wealth environment is by far the toughest assignment I've ever had in my years as a money manager. I'm sure that a lot of you have heard that one way to possibly deal with this problem is to invest in so-called hard currencies like silver and gold, the idea being that they will retain their relative value in the face of devaluation of paper currencies like the dollar. To be honest, I have never been a gold bug. I've always had faith that having enough dollars and a good investment strategy was good enough. Now I'm not so sure. But I do know that if I did invest in gold or silver, I'd want to do it in the same manner as we do with PTI for investments in the market, with defined risk. If you feel the need to invest in gold or silver, we can do it using the same strategies that we use for our protected index program. No matter what you invest in, we feel that you need to know and control your risk. Find us at PTISecurities.com. That's PTISecurities.com. Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Here, right now. Right here, right now, right now. Lauren Wolfe, Stocks and Jacks. I'm talking about Andrew on the board. SP Futures up 1875. SP Futures up 112. So we're making a stab at coming back from this kind of really bad losing streak we've had. Dow Futures up 104. Individual stocks in the Dow, they're not the ones that are moving. The ones that are moving are NVIDIA up 21 bucks. The 229, and we've got, uh, like I said, Baidu is up uh, six. Ba- I'm sorry, not Baidu, Alibaba up six bucks to uh, one, actually over 100, 100.90. Uh, uh, over in Europe, we've got the DAX up 99.6 percent. FTSE's actually down 12.1 percent. Not sure why that is. CAC around up 34.5 percent. Over in Asia, Nikkei down 368. Uh, that's 1.3 percent. Um, Hang Seng down 72. These guys are in danger of going under 20,000 after being, I think, 23.5. I'll check that as soon as we're done here. Shanghai down 3. Call that flat. Let me get the number on the Hang Seng uh, kind of right now where it got up to. I'm going to say it got up to uh, 
Uh, well, my chart is coming here. Let's do the let's do the one year. Looks like uh, twenty two thousand six eighty nine was the tippy top. Um, so it's down almost three thousand from that, which is kind of a lot. We have the uh, let's see, we've got bonds. Well, just the way review yesterday was an inside day. We had the Dow down 84, S&P down 6, NASDAQ up 14. It was pretty slow all day, back and forth over the flat line. So if you were bullish yesterday, you'd say they can't sell it anymore. We're, we're forming a base. If you're bearish, you'd say, what the hell kind of, of dead cat bounce is this? We're still going lower. So it was it was enough for both sides. Tenure up 2 basis points, 3.95. Edge and toward that's 4%. 4 uh, Bund up 2, 2.54. Japan the same, 0.504. We've got oil. Up 75 cents, but still in the mid 70s. Uh, 74.70, Brent up 81 cents. 81.41, natural gas down two cents. 2.15, Arbob unchanged. 2.34. We've got gold uh, down 7.60, 18.33. Still mired in this mid uh, 1800s. Silver down six cents, 21.61. Copper down two cents, two cents, 4.16. The more commercials I see about people saying buy gold, the lower it goes. I mean, we should stop the commercials. A Bitcoin up 10 bucks, 23,804. And we have the U.S. dollar virtually unchanged. Matter of fact, exactly unchanged against the British pound, 1.20. And the euro is still 1.06. So not much action there in the last couple of days. And what do you have for us? Traffic weather sports. A lot of rain, a lot of puddles, at least no snow. Oops, sorry, there we go. That's what it's looking like. Um, and at least the good news with that is the rain is looking to stop for now. Uh, going to be just pretty cloudy today. Going to get pretty windy uh, after the next couple hours, though. Uh, Chicago is going to be at around 38 degrees and high of 43 today. And over in Phoenix, uh, they're at 46 degrees, cloudy, and they're going to have a high of 59. Uh, over to sports tonight, uh, the Bulls are going to be playing the Nets at 7 p.m. Yeah, it's tomorrow. Oh, whoops. Sorry about that. Yeah, they're playing Friday. Tomorrow, they're going to be playing the Nets at 7 p.m. And uh, tomorrow as well, the Suns are going to be playing the Thunder at 9 p.m. Chicago time. Uh, over to hockey. Last night, the Blackhawks won over the Stars, ending their game 4-3. to three. Uh, Finally, for Chicago traffic, uh, inbound traffic is pretty heavy today. It's building very early, a lot more red than I'm used to seeing at this time. Uh, but something to note is out far on the Stevenson near, now hopefully I get this right, King Kingery Highway? Yep. Uh, on both sides of the road, inbound and outbound, uh, two separate accidents have occurred, basically right near each other, uh, leading to some pretty heavy delays far out there on the Stevenson, at least further out than I'm used to. So that's all I got. Back to you, Chief. The, uh, Lou, we have a uh just very, very brief, uh, which I, as brief as I can be. The Pullman used to do. They had they had essentially a hundred years of uh, of labor statistics, and they would say that if you worked till Friday and all of a sudden there was a delivery of parts or something, something, and you asked people to come in and work on a Saturday, you actually got uh, extra work done. Even if you paid, you know, one and a half times, uh, you could get work done. If you decided to work six days a week. They would tell you the exact day, or the exact amount of weeks and days, when you your your work for six days would be exactly equal to your work for five, which is the same as if uh, you decided to go to ten-hour days. It would work for about a week, and after, however, like I said, I remember, forget the amount of days, but it wasn't very many. It was like after sixty or eighty days, you would get the exact same amount of work in ten than you used to get in eight. There's just only a certain amount you can you can sort of get from people. But I mean, I I think a lot of people, looters, big pushback on 
and laying people off and telling other people you just got to do all their work for the same price. I don't, I don't know if you want to count it overtime or what, or people are looking well, or hitting the door I, with I, their, I, the doors in, in the ass when they leave or something. But something's. I, I mean, that's that's the that that's kind of the the, the issue. So again, the Fair Labor Standards Act was put into place in in '37. It was it was a, a result of a big push by by uh, unions to to try to you know put a maximum hour uh, work day in place and and the compromise was but, but the real justification for it was that it, it made it too expensive to work people longer than eight hours a day 40 hours a week in any you know kind of expensive capacity so for example the if, if you if you have a, a single employee um, that, that you're going to work more than 40 hours a week at, at the 41st hour, you're paying them time and a half. Oh, absolutely. And and so that's that's the overtime concept. And you do that, you have that for three or four people, and suddenly it becomes economically, it makes more economic sense to just hire an additional person rather than pay uh, the time and a half for you know three or four you know extra people. So. The idea was that you cut down on the ability of the employer to work work people basically to death, um, even though you were paying them to do so, and, and instead step back and say, okay, we're gonna we're gonna set a maximum work week or a regular work week of forty hours, and and if if you have to work people longer than forty hours, it rather than paying them for the extra forty hours that they're or the time above forty hours that are going to work, it's more economic for you to hire another body. To be to be into that job, and, and again, the the goal was to cut to cut the unemployment, which I think around that time was about twenty five percent. Anyway, well, I mean, it's, it it follows right along with the Pullman studies. It said if you're working people overtime too much, it it makes way more sense to hire somebody else if you can. Well, that that was that was what the unions were saying at the same time. Yeah, yeah, that was the economic justification, but but most of the employers didn't want to hear that. Well, um, well I mean, it's, I, I know I know today. Uh, you know, and, and don't don't take but, but don't take my this. point. My point is the test, and, and and I this was I think I told you many times on this on the show that if I had to pick a law that my clients were breaking, an employment law that my clients were breaking, it was most likely going to be this one. Yeah, the, the the test to put people in in jobs where you don't have to pay overtime is are you are they falling into one of these exempt categories where they're basically making management level decisions like they're, they're called the white collar exemptions where they're where they're basically making management level type type decisions and and, and it's not disjunctive it's conjunctive and you're not paying them based on how many hours they work and and that that has been the rule and it it first got real expensive for people when when uh, you started having certain high-paid jobs in the uh, IT industry, and and these guys were making you know a hundred thousand, hundred fifty thousand dollars a year, and and but be paid on an hourly basis because they weren't they weren't doing anything other than highly compensated technical technical work. Um, those guys were entitled to overtime, and in fact, they actually wrote an, an exemption for IT workers into the statute after the first couple of these cases came through. Where these guys were getting, you know, they, their base pay might have been a hundred thousand or one hundred and twenty thousand a year, doing hourly work, but when you threw overtime into that, suddenly their overtime, the overtime liability for those those employees, 
uh, eclipsed their salaries. Well, that's why and, people always wanted to go to work for Ford <coughs> coming out of grad school. Because when the two of us got hired at Pullman, I was making 17 in my job before, 16.5, so they gave me a $1,000 raise. And he was making 20 at Ford because he counted the overtime, and he got hired for 21.5. So he got, was making 25% more than me. We had the exact same job. Yeah. And so and so this all, anyway, the, the, the point is that this is a, a, with this oil company that was uh, doing the drilling and having this guy out on the rig, this, this was a what I would consider to be an elementary mistake. And I mean they did convince a they did convince a federal judge at the lower court level that in fact this was um that he was so highly compensated that he shouldn't be entitled to overtime. Uh but the Supreme Court said, look, the rule's the rule. If you're paying him on an hourly basis, he's not he's not exempt and he's entitled to overtime. And so this guy that was you know, you can imagine an eighty four hour work week. Um at a, at a highly compensated rate, suddenly he's got 44 hours of time and a half. Holy cow. Yeah. Well, Lou, I, wanna, I got two one, one of a question from uh, that was just uh, sent in to us regarding infrastructure. Let's hang on to that for a second because I wanted to ask you. I read this thing yesterday, and I, I honestly couldn't believe it how far we've gone down to me, the common sense rat hole. The, the spot where the six year old blasted the teacher, came to school with the gun, and and blasted a teacher. Now, the the parent or the mother and the and the, and the I don't know what you want to call them, the do-gooders of the world. And, I, and for somebody who is, you know, very liberal sort of, be nice to people background. I I, I can't believe where we're going on this stuff. The uh, the accusations now are the school should have recognized that this kid was sort of messed up, like earlier than six. The school and, the school did recognize. That the child was was messed up. They had mainstreamed the child. He was a he was a behavior problem already. He had mainstream. They had mainstreamed this kid into into a, the classroom. His parents. I think I think the requirement was that at least one of his parents had to be there with him to control him. And and in fact, he he came to school that day without the parent. And and they thought he had a gun. They just didn't search his backpack. I mean, can you imagine well, I, I, that, having that's, a six-year-old in a school that you think might have a weapon, and you don't just sit the kid down and search, you know, strip search him if you have to? I, I don't, I don't, I don't. Boy, that would never have flown. But my question is, what if if you're the parent, and I, you know, again, I'm not Mister Gun. I did my concealed carry class. I have not gone further and got my actual card, and I surely do not have a gun. Uh, how the hell? All they talked about in this class, in any kind of common sense, is if you have a gun in your house and the kids don't pay attention to you, or even if they do, how is it not locked? How is it not in a safe? How the hell? How is the mother not charged? Well, I mean, I mean, she may have civil liability, but but I, I if you don't have a statute that that requires that there's no criminal liability that that's going to attach. But but you have moral liability. How do you, how could somebody be that stupid? Uh, you you obviously haven't watched um, YouTube videos on stupid people with guns, um. but but yes. So so the, this is the issue, and 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 I've actually had this issue arise in my own situation, where where you want to have a weapon readily available, because if you if you have to if you're in your home and you need to get a, a gun because somebody's bashing in the front door or shooting in your house. 
you you need to have it accessible. A trigger lock or something like that is typically too cumbersome for you to be able to get the weapon, get to the weapon in a, in a hurry. So you have to go to the expense of putting it into some kind of, of lockbox or or safe that is protected from from a kid getting to the gun and, and being able to access it easily. And a lot of people don't want to do that. They're cumbersome. Um, they don't want to train themselves to open the safe quickly. Um, they they whatever they want to keep the gun in the nightstand. Whatever. Um, every every you know gun in, in my house um, is is locked uh, in some in some fashion. But you know a lot of people don't operate that way. And, well, but and I mean, uh, yeah, this is what I, happens. I, I think I think it's unconscionable for a parent who has a child with these kind of behavior issues to have a gun in the house. But this is, you know, this is like what was it, that terrible school shooting in Connecticut. Yeah. The mom trained a kid who was clearly nuts, to, to use the technical term, clearly emotionally and psychologically disturbed. And she took him out shooting and got him up to speed with, with a number of guns because she thought it would be good for him but did not take care to lock the weapons up when when they were out shooting together. He killed her first. Do we, do we, can, can we, do, are we, we need some common sense lessons in this country or, what, or whatever. Matter of fact, hey, we have a, the other one here is... A, well, well, as, as, my, as my coffee mug says, Chief, we can't fix stupid, but we can give it a court date. Um, yeah. So we have a question is, why, why can't governments uh, maintain infrastructure... They get the taxes, and what, what do they do with it? I'm gonna. They are maintaining infrastructure. I just saw a study on this. Well, I, 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 uh, I'll, I'll make a stab at, at it a little bit. Uh, the complexity and who pays for what, and I think even part of, uh, you know, so the, the the funding on everything. I'll use the example of a. Uh, well, the first example I'll use is the Golden Gate Bridge. When you put the thing up, you're obviously sitting on top of salt water. You got the saltwater wind. You got all this kind of stuff. So, f- if you ever drive over the Golden Gate Bridge, and I would say go ahead and do that. By the way, I took my bike over that, Lou. That sucker's high. Yeah. Talk about eyes, eyes straight ahead. I didn't want to look over, and that railing is not that high. <laughs> I mean, that's why, that's why you, a lot of people jump off it. But I mean, if you if you got a fl- you know something wrong and you crash into the rail, I'm not so sure <laughs> that you that on the bike you're not going over anyway. It was a, it was an interesting trip. I just kept my eyes straight ahead, and went as fast as I could. Uh, but you'll see that there's a group that paints the thing. They sandblast the hell out of it, and they paint it, prime it, and paint it. And they go to one, one side to the other. And the minute they get to the other side, which I believe takes two years, they go back to the original side and start over. Uh, so okay, that's that's one way to do it, which is probably the best way to do it. But everybody who designs a bridge or whatever it is, and I just use the term bridge. Uh, they will tell you what the maintenance of that thing is. They'll tell you the expected life. I mean, these guys that put these things up, I mean, this is America. Our guys do a really good job at this stuff. And they can tell you exactly so, kind of what you're going to do. But now, where where you got the money for this, for instance, I'm, I'm going to go, this is what the Chicago used to do. I haven't seen them do it lately, thank God. They have all these, they're actually, you know, you know what the Chicago Bridge, the ones that raise going over the river, it's actually called a bascule-style bridge. I don't know if you knew that or not. The uh, ones that that go up and down uh, with the uh, counterweights and all that stuff. It's a big invention. Blah blah blah. Well, they're built basically like, like brick bleep houses. They'll last forever. I mean, metal a metal structure 
if maintained, will last centuries. But the operative word there is if maintained. So you get the money from some bill coming from the infrastructure bill, like this bill, and you build this bridge. Okay. Well, now the city probably is in charge of maintaining it, which is kind of weird. But there's all kinds of different, there's the state money and the city money and everybody ponies in. But I think when it comes to maintaining it, at least in the old days, it was the city had to do it. Well, you never saw anybody. Now, these things are over-engineered. So you can do basically no maintenance on it for quite a while before the thing falls in. So finally, one day, Mayor Daly was big at this. One day, the thing would be like so bad that you'd say, oops, you can't drive across the Jackson Bridge, and you go back to Washington, and you snivel for more money, and guess what? You get money from there, and you build a whole new bridge. So it actually, the, the, the way it was, I'm not, I hope it's not that way again, but it sort of is. I mean, this infrastructure bill is going back to repair and replace bridges that are, are sub, substandard for the last 60 years from they were built. Well, how the hell does that happen? It happens because somehow on the local level, people by not doing the maintenance somehow take that money into current stuff and they say, hey, our deficit's only... Ten billion or ten million dollars—that's not so bad, but really it might be forty or fifty or a hundred because you're not doing the prescribed maintenance that any second-grade engineer will tell you you better do on this bridge or or, or uh, overpass or whatever the hell it happens to be or road. So yeah, it's the same. It's the same logic as, as not maintaining your pension fund. Yeah, yeah. Well, there you think you're going to catch up, or there's something, something. Uh, I mean, whatever it is. Yeah, it's the same logic. Well, let's let's let the next guy worry about it. And and part of that is, I mean, I, I look at politics different than most because I mean, I had George Stigler for a professor, and he and he talks about how it's ma- it's it's a business. It's just a different business than we understand. And and for just like executives of you know fifty years ago, they said they would just manage for the quarter because their bonus is based on the quarter or the year. And they wouldn't look down the road, and they, you know, they pollute stuff, not caring thirty years now how much it would cost to clean it up, because it would it would increase that quarter or that year's stuff, and they'd get their bonus on it. Well, we have the same issue with politicians. The more you can push past your four years in office or two years in office, and leave it for the next guy, that's fine. Because I, I didn't have this deficit. This next guy doesn't know what he's doing. You know, that's it's why the same, it's the same lot again. It, it's the same mentality that we see in the NFL with a salary cap. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's the same. I mean, it's the same. It's the same thing. Let's uh, let's maximize my return this year. And let everybody else be damned, basically. So I mean, it, I mean do, does it? Is, is you know, Lori Lightfoot like like it or or, or like her or lumper? I, don't know, I think most people might be in the lumper category, but I don't know. Uh, is it is it in her best interest to make absolutely sure that every bridge in Chicago and every roadway is absolutely up to snuff if it's her money? And the answer is no. It's be you're better off letting everything fall apart. And all of a sudden, you know, Joe, Uncle Joe Biden comes in and says, God, we need a $90 trillion infrastructure bill because the whole damn country's falling apart. I mean, that, that, that's my answer to the question that came in. Do you, do you disagree, agree? Um, I mean, I think, I think that, that makes sense. The, the short answer is, especially in a place like Chicago, is the stuff that we're supposed to take care of, we want to get somebody else to pay for it. Oh, yeah. Um, and you either get them to pay for it by some kind of, long-term grant that you're working with 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 the feds or figure out some other way to get to get non-money or not the revenue money that you have direct control over 
because you don't want to spend the money you've got direct control over on unsexy stuff like bridge repair. Right. You want to spend it on social welfare programs that are direct payouts to your cronies. Um, I, I, this was, and I, I will, I will just give you a story. I worked with a group that was involved heavily involved in bringing the Olympics to Chicago. Remember that whole Olympics? Oh, the thing? whole fiasco, yeah. Fiasco. So, so I was working with this group. Very smart people, scions of, of, you know, technology and industry and commerce. But it became apparent to me after like two or three meetings with these, these gentlemen. And, and we were doing a lot of it. There was a lot of creative stuff going on there. But it became apparent to me that what was happening from the mayor's perspective, I mean, our group's perspective was to develop a world-class athletic facility here in Chicago. That's what this group was working for. Oh, you, you guys, you guys were, you guys were a bunch of bumpkins. Everybody else is worried about getting the hot dog stand at the right spot. What the mayor's perspective was was to get the Olympics in here because that would mean a huge infusion of federal money to upgrade the mass transit system. The L, uh, clean the clean the canals. It was a it was this monster infrastructure project that just happened to have an Olympic Olympic you know, games tied onto it. But that was his motivation, and and all the stuff we were doing about talking about developing, you know, international sport options to, to pull kids out of out of the, some of these neighborhoods and give them a chance to to box. I, I can't believe or, or rowing. I mean, take advantage of some of that. Blue, I, I can't believe all of that was. You, you know, I lo- I love you like a brother, and I'm with you all the time and all this stuff. But even you had to know that you were you were the fart in the room. It's all about um, it's all about buying the property next to Washington Park. It's all about making sure that that Coca Cola is being used in the thing. And that all, all those, were, all those were we all knew that those were side deals. And we all knew that was happening. But they're not but side the deals. They're, they're, the, they're the main purpose. That's that's no. Chicago the way it is. That would have that would have all flowed out of this. But the real purpose, from the from the strategic purpose, that's all tactical stuff. The strategic purpose was to get the games here and use that as and use that money from the federal government as justification to upgrade all of Chicago's infrastructure. That, and that's where the mayor was going on this. And, and you know, I mean, maybe everybody else in the room realized it too. I was looking at it going, you know, we're, we're, we're wasting it. We're spinning our wheels. Well, it, it made so much money for some people. We got a dash here, but just so you, I mean, as you know, I, I, not that you don't. You talk to everybody international. I just talk to people locally. There, there was a lady, boy, talk about a terrific lady. She, um, she was She was in marketing. She married some guy, and it was like the Brady Bunch. It was like they're her five kids, and their five kids got together. And the guy was evidently a bump. So she told the dude, like, get the hell out of here. And she put his kids, by the way, I'm keeping your kids because you're a crummy father. She, she put her kids and his kids all through college. And uh, we talk about a terrific lady. She was in marketing, uh, three marketing songs, which you, uh, uh, GE, we bring good things to light. That was hers. How do you spell... Uh, cheese, K-R-A-F-T, and what was the other one? Oh, uh, telephone, reach out and touch someone. Those were all hers. Man, her, her daughter was the banquet and liquor manager at the hotel by 
uh, McCormick Place. And with the, uh, it was supposed to be, the thing was supposed to be done, a lot of it was going to be where the old Michael Reese spot. And yep. she said, you know, for, the, for 10 years, our bar, our restaurant, our hotel was going to be the epicenter of, of this thing going up, this Olympics. Everybody who came to town to try and sell you their stuff, you know, whether it be artificial turf or whatever, hurdler things or whatever it was, and she goes, every one of those transactions would have taken place in our bar. Do you have any idea how many martinis and shrimp cocktail for like a decade that would be? How much that was going to be worth to us? Yet, oh, yeah. yet for you and me, Lou, all it meant was more people on the subway. We don't want them here, right? <laughs> it, it, you know, I mean, and it, the, the amount everybody figured out what the money was instantly, and they were going at it like a terrier after a bone. And, yeah. then, and then there's know, a guy I like no, I mean, I mean, yeah. that's that's, I mean, Atlanta supposedly did the same thing, but but my my point is that. The your, to, to follow on your goal, it, it's OPM. You want to use other people's money to pay for this. Stuff. Sure, no doubt. And and the maintenance is is not only boring, but it's it's you know. And somebody says, if we don't paint the bridge for a year, what happens? Does it fall down? The engineer goes, well, no. Okay, then we won't. It's 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 that simple. Though. I mean, it, it's it's stupid, but it's simple. Anyway, yeah. but you take. Are you going to go skiing in all the snow? Uh, probably next uh, next month. All right. All right. Take care of yourself. But SP Futures up 20. SP Futures up 114. Be right back, Mr. Dan Janitas. This self-directed trading is a lonely job. Online trading is not as easy as point and click. No, it's not. Everyone, even professionals, need to share ideas and think out loud every now and then. That's what I like about PTI Pro Direct. Their staff of former option floor traders really helps me choose the right strategy for trading option volatility and plan the time decay for my covered writing program. Yep, nothing can replace years of trading experience to stop you from making that dumb trade and for saving a few bucks. We've all been there and done that. <laughs> yeah, I have access to all that great trading advice and experience for just a penny a share for stocks, $1 for equity options, and $1 minimum a trade. Our clients at PTI ProDirect can call when they need a little help on a trade or just to talk about the market in general. We trade every day. We love this stuff. That's what I like most about PTI ProDirect. Cheap prices along with great advice from real floor traders. It's the best of both worlds. Tell your friends. That's PTIProDirect.com. PTIProDirect.com. Are you one of the millions of people who suffer with pain? Do you wake up in the morning with stiffness in the lower back or neck? Why are you using medication to cover up the symptoms without treating the actual cause? Painkillers, muscle relaxants, and anti-inflammatories are not the answer. At ChiroMed, physicians are trained to detect the cause of your symptoms and to correct the underlying problem. If you're ready to listen to common sense and do what it takes to make changes in your body that can affect your health for the rest of your life, give ChiroMed a call and set up a complimentary consultation. They are located in Orland Park and can be reached at 708-403-2727. 20,000 patients over 22 years have been treated at ChiroMed and over 90% of them have had positive results without medication or expensive surgery. Isn't it time you did something good for your body too? Give ChiroMed a call, 708-403-2727. That's 708-403-2727. Let's get you pain-free and living again. Hi, I'm Audrey Johnson, an owner of Home Source Realty and a frequent contributor to Stocks and Jocks. If you're nervous about the stock market and considering diversification or are looking for a rate of return way better than your banks, consider adding rental properties to your portfolio. Whether it's a condo, single family, or multi-unit building, I can help you select a property that meets your financial needs. Call or text me at 708 349 
708-349-3456. That's 708-349-3456. Or visit my website at myhomesourcerealty.com. That's myhomesourcerealty.com. Welcome up, Face Tyson Jacks. I'm Tom Howard. Andrew on the board. SP Futures up 19. SA Futures up 111. We're hanging in here with a, a bullish morning here. Uh, obviously, we had a couple of good earnings, and NVIDIA uh, is up 20 bucks, 21 bucks, 228. And we've got uh, Alibaba, well, now it's up 540, but still up pretty much. Up, it's almost 6%. So we had some good earnings moves last night, which is kind of helping the market out. Yesterday was a inside day after a few bad days in a row. Do we have Mr. Dan? Dan, are you with us? I'm I'm here. What's up, man? How are you? I'm good. How are you? All right. Everybody's a little wet. We've been we're we're very thankful. We got like two and a half inches of rain versus like three feet of snow. They're getting one of Minnesota north of here and in the middle ice. So we we're happy with our rain, even though we're kind of wet, a little damp. But uh, other than that, we're okay. Just saying. That that's good. Hey, I have uh, <laughs> some questions for you. Um, uh, I I keep getting people and clients, and not just clients, but other people. They they keep how can I say this? They keep at me about these munis, and why do I have such a a uh, the reason why I have such a nasty idea of munis is because I know the people that buy them usually are insurance companies and people like that, and they hold them for the whole thirty years. Yeah, and, and we've had people that have we haven't done enough. I mean, I'm I'm registered to do municipal bond stuff. I mean, I have that that test and all that stuff, and we do some of it, but most of it. Dan, as always, people bring accounts in and they have some there, which is fine with all of us. And then once in a while they'll say, how about selling this one for me? And I, I put on my municipal bond hat and uh, and it's always some, you know, TIF project from central Philadelphia or some damn place. And it's, you know, the, the things are like 40 bid at 95 and haven't traded in six months. And I'm going, oh, God. Uh, I just have a, a real bad taste because of that, which I'm sure is probably not correct that's why i'm asking you the question but still even the even the ones that are are somewhat liquid are not not what anybody's used to and anything else we do bonds or stocks or options or anything like that it's just sort of a different world and i i know that if you get the right ones at the right time and the tax advantages and so forth sometimes it's worth it if you do the math sometimes it's not for the tax advantages and i just i don't know i, I just don't know enough about it to to constantly be pushing for the one day the things are buy and, and that individual's tax bracket because I don't really ask people their tax bracket. And yet, all of a sudden, there's a lot of interest. So I said, you know what? I'll ask Dan again. Sure. What, what's so the deal I think, with this? I think part of the reason that there's a lot of interest is just that interest rates have gone up. So whether you're buying T-bills or corporate bonds or high-yield bonds or, um, or mortgages, you're getting paid more now than you have in the past. So that's probably a good part of the reason that people are taking a closer look and as you said you're getting the um, tax break as well um, especially if you're in a state that has high state income taxes so you get both the federal income tax break as well as the state income tax if it is a bond that was issued in your state you're getting you know double um, tax exemption so what is is unique, and you're not, and you are in the right, right track Dan, when Dan, you back, say that it, you Dan, know you have widespread. Dan, back up what on that for a second. Back up. I'm sorry. Back up on that for a second. In other words, if you're 
in New York, I mean, I I think I know this as well, but for the listeners, if you're in New York and you've got, pick, pick a number, an 8% state tax, if you don't buy a New York or New York City or New York County bond, you don't get the, the state tax deduction, correct? That's correct. And, and there are some exceptions to that, like the Virgin Islands and Puerto Rico are... Um, they, they apply through, you're, you're able to get that exemption, um, double exemption, or in some cases, triple exemption when you talk about the city tax, um, throughout the entire country. But okay. yes, you, you want to look at the bonds that are issued in your state to get that double tax exemption. So in Illinois, and federal. in Illinois, you're, you're, you're saddled with buying something in Illinois, which you may or may not want to do. You, <laughs> you, I mean, you may find it the best, a guy like you might say, Tom, put your people in. Rapid City, South Dakota, water something something because they're they're triple A rated. They're solid solid as can be. Now, if I do that for a client, he's paying the five percent in Illinois or four percent or whatever it is, right? Yeah. So the the um, you know getting back to the to the lack of liquidity, if yeah. you will, there is there are a couple reasons why there's a lack of liquidity. One is exactly what you said that a lot of the people buying them, for example, insurance companies or even individuals are going to buy and hold. Because they want that tax tax free income. That's they're buy and hold. They're not looking at these as flips, or they're not looking to get in and get out like you might with a high yield bond, or you might with a certainly with an equity. So, so it is a buy and hold strategy, which make, that in itself makes it less liquid. But the other thing that makes it less liquid is the fact that when a, a municipal bond is issued, so if there's an issuer, say it is the city of Chicago, they're not going to just issue one. 10-year bond, they're going to issue what they call a series of bonds. So some bonds will mature in two years, some will mature in three years, some will mature in four years. So you're actually buying a bond of a specific maturity or a tranche, as we call it, um, in the issue. So you're, you're, you know, there might be a total of 500 um, million that are issued, but you're, you're, the piece that you have might only be 50 million. So that in itself makes it less liquid because there's less outstanding of that particular issue that you have, that particular tranche. So it may be um, a Chicago GO bond or an Illinois GO bond, but it is a small, out, there's a small outstanding issue, and the float, if you will, is even smaller because a lot of that money is locked up. So that will naturally make it difficult. That'll keep that bid ask spread very wide it'll make it difficult to sell i would say that if you are if you do own that you have to look at the risk of selling and again go back to the reason that you originally purchased them there are there are you know anything that's on the short end of the curve meaning three years and under is going to be a good buy i would say the same thing across any bond right now anything that is longer you still have interest rate risk so this past week, Tom, is a good example. We saw rates go up across the board. So we saw two years go up to 470. We saw the one-year T-bill go up to 507. We're seeing 10 years now close to 4%. As rates go higher and as you go longer, on the longer meaning your longer maturity, you might think, okay, I'll buy a 4% or whatever 10-year municipal bond, but as rates go higher, the price of that bond is going to go lower because that is just the way bonds work. So even though you might be clipping a nice 4% tax-free coupon, 
you got to remember that that the price of your bond could be declining in the near term. Now, yes, if you hold it to maturity, you'll eventually get that over time. You'll get that income over time, but you've got to be willing to see the price of your bond drop as interest rates continue to rise. If you actually blow and more, one. more greatly impacted the longer the maturity is. If you were able to buy one, I don't know if you ever can, but if you were able to buy one at, say, 90 because the rate does go down, and five years from now you get, I mean, you get the 100 from the, whoever it is, that that capital is that capital gain taxable that's taxable yes um okay. the only time when it would not be taxable if it was issued as a discount okay so if it was an original issue discount it's like buying a t-bill that you know you're not you're not getting collecting a coupon you're just getting the income that interest on your treasury bill basically becomes the discounted interest basically becomes the the interest that you um receive as the bondholder it's accrued interest they call it and, and over time if you are buying a, a di- an originally issued discount municipal bond you are going to collect the um whatever that rate happens to be it was discounted at four percent so you'll collect four percent okay so sounds like uh for the people that are asking me these questions if 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 i could get rbc or ib or two clearing places uh to get me in on say an original issue O'Hare bond that's a 10-year deal, but I want to buy the two-year piece and grab some of that and just say we're holding it for two years and we're not going to worry about selling it and hopefully it will last two years. That might be the way to go right now from what yes. you're, to summarize what you're saying. Uh, uh-huh. Absolutely. And and the one thing I will say about municipals that's different than corporates um, is that over time, because I've run, I ran a hedge fund, a distressed hedge fund, and over time, the default rate on municipal bonds is much, much lower than it is on corporate bonds. So you're, you're, um, you know, if the average default rate is 80 or 90 percent um, during tough times, you know, like the absolute worst time. I mean, not 80 or 90, maybe five or 10 percent, and the worst of times in municipals, it would probably still be less than one percent. Well, you said so you have 90. a very low a low default rate. So even though it might be like the way Puerto Rico bonds were, um, you know, when when they defaulted, but your recovery rate is what I'm, I'm actually talking about. The recovery rate on those defaults is going to be much higher than it would be on on a um, corporate bond. When you said so eighty you're or ninety, you're going to get paid a very large percentage of of your power value. Um, historically, that is that is what's happened with municipal bonds. You and clearly, if you're in a, a GO, a general obligation bond, you're going to get paid even more. If you're in a industrial revenue bond or a bond that is of a particular project, that project could could have you know run into trouble with financing, and they could miss a payment. But over time, you've got the backing generally of not only um, say the local government or, or the federal government behind that, but you also would have the backing of the company. So. Over time, you will get that payout if you hold on. So, in other words, once you once you own one, if it does go into default, don't sell it right away. That's something you want to sit on because the odds are in your favor of getting that recovery. Yeah, I would, I would agree on that. You might not get hell. Even the Chicago Skyway bonds, you never got your interest, but you end up getting the money back. What's uh, so? I mean, I I actually again, boy, I'm taking pot shots at Chicago all morning today, but. Uh, I know some of the people that are in some of this initial bond offering stuff, 
and it, it's rife with, uh, let's say, some participation uh, that nobody even does anything with. I don't, how the hell do you even get involved in one of the initial? If somebody wants to buy fifty grand worth, how do you get involved in one of the initial? You, have, you must have to buy it afterwards. And if you buy it afterwards, are you gonna you're gonna lose out what you wanted to get in the first place? Generally, the institutional buyers are going to be the ones who are going to have first, um, you know, access to it. But but if you're in, um, you know, there there are municipal bond um, brokers, if you will, that specialize um, that actually will get involved in the deals, just as you would on the corporate side. You'd have a a firm that's <clears throat> responsible for the for the initial underwriting of the deal, and that would be one way of getting in. Or you can just go to your, you know, whoever your uh, advisor or broker is, and you can say, I'm interested, you know, and they can they can look into the deal. Generally, you're right. Generally, because of the issue size, they're probably going to be oversubscribed, especially now where interest rates are so high. So you'd have to you'd have to get what's left over, or you'd have to wait until the secondary market. I always say, don't pay a premium just because of what we call negative convexity, because yeah. that price is going to drop, as you were alluding to before, you know, the price goes from 102, and it eventually will mature at 100. So um, be careful about paying a premium. Um, the advantage of paying a premium, though, is that you still, if it has, let's say, a 5% coupon, you are still going to receive your, your tax discount, if, or you're not paying taxes on that in, interest that you receive. So that's the advantage of buying one. Disadvantage is that you lose you lose capital. Well, Dan, you're. Uh, I mean, I always, if people haven't figured out by now, I mean, Dan and I try and do the the best we can for our clients. I, I know that the. I'm not going to say every single one, but I'm going to say the Chicago stuff. The good ones are rigged. <laughs> I mean, basically. I mean, how how does somebody like me, or even somebody like you, when you used to do it full time, how would you know if the you know, the sewer bonds in Effingham, Illinois, are actually not the best buy going and just go grab those. How, how do you, how does anybody even, I mean, how, how do you get into the detail of that level to know that that's a good one or, 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 or the, the Champagne College, you know, whatever, something, something, water treatment plant isn't a, isn't a great deal. I mean, I, I mean, obviously there's people that that's their living to do that, but I mean, how do you tap, I mean, obviously maybe RBC has people like that or IB. I mean, when you, when you were in it, did you get that level of detail or did you use other people for that? Oh no, absolutely. We did it. We did the research ourselves, and we still do. I mean, there's. So again, you're talking about you know um, you're looking at the rating. Um, if it's a bond that's say insured or it has some backing that you know by the the government that allows it to have a triple A or even double A rating, chances are you don't have to do as much research if you know that it's it's um, you're going to have that that higher rating. If it's a, if it's a situation like say it's a, a healthcare facility. Um, we were buying some healthcare facilities um, here in South Florida. Um, then you would want to do your homework, and the way you do that is you look at what's called the offering statement, and that's available to the public. So for anybody who wants to purchase the bonds, you look at the offering statement, and that'll have a description of what the bond is, so you know what you're financing. Um, you can also ask whoever you're buying it from to do some research from you, and you can get some of that information on, say, Bloomberg or even on, say, for example, um, Interactive Broker System. They do a lot. They do have information on specific bonds. Now, one of the things you want to look at, besides who the issuer is, you want to look at the call date. You want to see if the bond is callable, um, because that's going to either that could possibly cap your upside. And it could also shorten the maturity that you end up. So, in other words, in this rising interest rate environment, 
if you buy a three-year bond or a bond that has three years left on it, but it becomes callable in a year, chances are really high that that finance, who's the, the issuer, is going to refinance those and call them in a year. So looking at the call uh, protection on a municipal bond is, is very important because you might be saying, hey, I can lock it in for three years, but if it's callable and right, rates are rising, chances are it's only going to be available until the first call date, which could be a year out. We have had, just since we've been speaking, um, and in the last six months, we've had some corporate bonds called. We've had two, uh, two names that we mentioned and we've talked over and over again. One is SVC, which is Services Corp, that had a nice fat um, coupon, a nice um, interest rate, and was going to mature in June. They're because they're going to be called on March 8th at par. So it's actually good when rates are going higher because the cash that we get from that, from um, the principal, getting our principal back when they're called, we can now reinvest at a higher rate. So as long as rates are going up, you're going to be able to reinvest at a higher rate. It's all it's okay when when the bond gets called. Another name is ADT. You know the security home security system. Those bonds had what they call a partial call, but a very large percentage of them are called. Um, on March fifteenth, this you know this coming March fifteenth, rather than maturity on June fifteenth. Yeah, Again, isn't it, the isn't good it, news, as it would be with the muni too, and when rates are going higher, you're getting paid um, at a time. I mean, you're getting that your your money back at a time where you can reinvest at a higher rate. So if you think rates are going down, be very careful about uh, callable bonds. When rates are going up, not as much of a concern. Well, but the, the, it's kind of a zero sum game, right? Because the, the the reason why the guys are buying it from you at a hundred is because if they didn't, it would be trading one hundred four, right? It would, yes, it would go higher. But you know, if you are somebody who is looking to hold them longer term, you know, at least for a period of time, if they were to go up to one hundred four, you'd be holding something at a at a um, you know, you could sell it at one hundred four. That's what I'm saying. I, 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 yeah, you know, they're, they're, I mean, it's not like they're. They're not being philanthropists, and they do this. They do, they do it for a reason, right? But that call price is going to naturally keep the price of that bond down. Right. That's so, what I'm in saying. other words, yeah, it's only going to trade a little bit over that hundred. It's, it's generally not going to go as high as one hundred four when you're starting to approach um, the call date. The call date puts a it's um, it's like it puts a limit on how high that that price um, can go. Um, the other thing to notice about bonds is, again, to look at where the financing is coming from, and that is generally very simple, and it'll tell you who the actual, who is actually the issuer. You know, So there could be a construction project that's financed by a government entity. So if the government entity has a strong rating that's behind it, that's good. If it's, if it's a, you know, like a state of Virginia that's financing it, but the, but the actual um, project might have a lower rating, the fact that it has that financing by the state government would would actually increase the overall credit rating of the of the bond. So that basic information would actually be something you can find in the bond description, which you could find on, say, interactive brokers. Uh, Bloomberg obviously can give you a lot more information, and then finally, the best source would be the offering statement. What, uh, Dan? How this is a? I guess it's my doggy downer day or something, but. How nervous are you after the Detroit situation years ago of, say, for instance, uh, 
Chicago has a, let's say they've got a trash rating, a junk rating, and yet the Metropolitan Sanitary District, you know, it was which is a separate taxing. Chicago's got like, what, 12 or 15 different taxing authorities, the Mesquita District and all this other kind of stuff. So Park District, how comfortable are you, say, the Metropolitan San- Sanitary District is double A rated and Chicago's double trash rated, which they aren't. Uh, how comfortable are you that that, that, that stays... That I can I can put my money in the metropolitan thing, and I'm okay even if Chicago goes under. Because in Detroit, didn't that not happen? That everybody gets yeah, yeah. It really, it, and actually, it does. You're right. It does depend on each specific um, issue, and it depends on how they find it. So, if say if it is a utility, or say let's just use the water and sewer as an example, if the taxing entity has the ability to to get revenues from the public at a particular rate, I know. Um, people where I live, our water bills are very high, and they've continued to go high. So the water and sewer bills. So the as long as they can continue to raise rates, they have that ability. It really doesn't matter so much what's going on in other other parts of this other parts of the city or other counties. And in, in the case of Florida, like it doesn't matter what the next county is doing. But if your county has the ability to raise rates, and there's not like this up you know upward limit. Then, then um, that's going to make them a better credit. And again, it's a you know we're talking about a utility that people need. It's not a it's not an optional. So you have to you do you're right. You do have to drill down into the specific entity, the specific department that's issuing. And and I know in in Puerto Rico, for example, I I do know that situation pretty well. And buying the electric bonds, they are the power bonds that were municipal bonds. They eventually came back to par value you know, after their restructuring and workout. But, yes, they did go down in sympathy with the rest of um, the territory back then. Everything, you know, the Commonwealth, everything back then dropped when the, when the Commonwealth um, declared pa- bankruptcy. However, those utility bonds, um, those power bonds, electric bonds, ended up eventually paying 100 cents on the dollar. Did, but you did you lose interest? I bet you did. You lose interest for a p- that period of workout, so whatever yeah. that workout period happens to be. But I think in that case, I don't know that the rate was that high. It was a huge increase in, in, in capital gains, though. I mean, a huge increase in your in your capital and your principal. So, I mean, I'm talking going from the, the teens up to 100. Well, um, the biggest so the you could use it as a, you know, as a, if, you're, if you're an advisor or if you're a manager, you can use that as an opportunity to take a, take a loss. But in, in, I think in that case, we knew that the, you know, they did have a um, pretty high, ta- you know, the taxing authority um, on, a, on a utility example is going to be much better than it would be, say, on a local project. Well, so right now, just to kind of sum it up, you're saying if, if I can find some uh, first tranche, a two-year tranche and a decent muni, uh, Go for it, and also, where where are you on the T bill? We still we're still at six months. Or are you sneaking out yeah, the nine? I actually, yeah, I actually really like T bills right now. I mean, I think the story that we've been telling for months now has been a good one because you again that reinvestment rate. This week we were buying the six months um, at five oh two. Um, as of today, the one year is at five oh seven. So we've broken through that five percent barrier. But think about it. You know, if the we've been buying six months six months at five percent. Um, the consensus now is 25 basis point hike in March, 25 basis point hike in May, and 25 basis point hike in June. 
that means 75 more basis points. So add that to your 5%. We're starting to get close to 6%. So by the time those bonds come for maturity, and you can sell them sooner, by the way, yeah. and still make money. It's, but by the time they're getting close to maturity, all of a sudden you're, having a, you're reinvesting at an even higher rate. So um, the, the advice would be to continue to do this short, shorter term, the sixth month where you're getting paid most of the yield and almost the highest yield you can on the, ter- on the yield curve. And then as it seems like rates are going to level off, you know, you know, once you think the Fed is getting close to, to slowing down or stopping, then go a little longer. Uh, but we're not so there yet. We're not there yet, exactly. I think we have at least until June. The news that came out this week that was important is just that now sentiment, investor sentiment, is that we are going to see, you know, three more hikes. Now I think it's kind of built in that we're going to see this higher yield. As a bond person that's focused on income, I like it. I think it's really good for um, for individuals to be able to lock in um, some higher um, risk-free return to offset the rest of your portfolio. Oh, I agree. Highly recommend. Highly recommend having a portion of your portfolio and and um, and these higher yielding. All right, but we got a we got a dash. We'll talk at you next week, if not sooner. It, take yeah, care next yourself. week would be great. I, I just uh, just uh, sort of a last thing. I'm attending a mines and metals conference in um, Miami the next two days, and hopefully I'll have some ideas next week. Uh, some of the big um, companies like GM are actually looking at buying some uh, like lithium mines right now. So, I mean, you know, it's going to be an interesting conference with a lot of the top um, metals and mining companies around the world. So, I'll hopefully have some things to share next week. Well, tell the people that are advertising everybody should go buy gold and silver to shut up because all they do, the more they talk, the more they go down. They go down, yeah. <laughs> well, like I said, I'll be more informed when I when I talk next week. So, all right, bud. All right, All right take one. care of yourself. SP Futures, uh, we just came out with the second quarter GDP read, 2.7 versus 2.9. Uh, it's not a mover, but we're only up 13 now, 93 in the uh, Be right back, Mr. John Flanagan. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox, the control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to factor in the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other life decision. Your brain is smarter than your gut, and that's why you owe it to yourself to read Luckbox. We've made it easy because Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with timely, actionable trading ideas and equips you with savvy investing tactics you don't already know all while exploring how to live your best life through music spirits food sports travel fitness and a whole lot more luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on controlling their financial futures it's for overachievers and alpha types who don't buy into wall street's investment gurus it's for mavericks who believe in life luxury and the pursuit of happiness it's for you smart investors don't bet on possibilities they play the probabilities luckbox is 7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Interested in promoting your business to a high-end audience comprised of entrepreneurs, traders, executives, and the everyday business person? Consider advertising on Stocks and Jocks. With a devout listenership covering the Chicago market along with a vast online presence, advertising on Stocks and Jocks may be just what it takes to put your business over the top. For more information, contact me, Matt Weber, at matt at stocksandjocks.net. That's matt at stocksandjocks.net. Hello, this is Tom Howe, the Chief. 
We've talked a lot on the show about risk and suitability, about how your portfolio should match your age, income, and risk appetite. It's been hard for investors to maintain that suitability in the last several years due to a Fed strategy that has driven interest rates to virtually zero. You may have even heard that the Fed was trying to drive conservative investors to a riskier portfolio on purpose, for whatever reason. I'm sure you're aware of investors that took some increased risk, such as longer-term fixed-income securities, and are now unhappy with that choice. At PTI, we've always stressed total portfolio risk awareness and tried to minimize chasing returns in a tough environment. Well, now it looks like maybe interest rates are moving more towards historical levels. Everyone needs to be aware of what that continued movement might do to your portfolio, both good and bad. We also have a stock market that seems to have stalled, at least for the short term. I think it's time for everyone to take a serious look at their goals, their risks, and their portfolios. Do they match? If not, we can help. We have a signature protected index program. We have ways to hedge against interest risk. We can make that portfolio right for you again. Go to PTISecurities.com or call us right now. The market can change very rapidly. That's PTISecurities.com. Stocks, jocks, stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Right here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Hello and welcome back to Stacks and Jacks. I'm Tom Andrew on the board. SP Futures are only up 14 now. Well, they were up 25. And NASDAQ Futures up 96. We came out with a slightly uh, less GDP in the uh, fourth quarter, 2.7 versus 2.9. I don't think that's anything to really trade about, but some people have sold things off a little bit on that. Not sure why. Uh, Dow Futures up 105. Over in Europe, we've got DAX up 101.7%. FTSE down 8. Uh, they're kind of out of line here. That's down 0.1%. Check around up 34.5%, so FTSE's the outlier. Asia, we have the Nikkei down 368, 1.4%. Hang Seng down 72, up 0.3%. And we have the Shanghai down 3, call that one flat. Uh, yesterday, Dow was down 84, S&P down 6, NASDAQ up 14. It's a very ins- inside day, as they used to call it on the trading floor. Uh, Bonds up 4 basis points, 3.96, inching towards 4. The Bund up 3 basis points, 2.54. Remember, it was like 3 weeks ago. Andrew, we were worried about this thing going under 2 or 4 weeks ago. Now it's 2.55, so not near 2 anymore. Uh, Japan unchanged at 0.50. Uh, oil down up 99 cents, but still 74.94, nowhere near 80. Uh, Brent up 95 cents, 81.55. Natural gas unchanged, 2.16. Arbob uncha- unchanged at 2.34. We've got gold down 9.70, 18.31. Silver down 17 cents, 21.50. Copper down 3 cents, 4.15. We've got the Bitcoin up 367, 24,160. We've got the U.S. dollar, I'm going to say flat on the day, against both the euro is 106 and the pound 120. What do you got for us, Traffic Weather Sports? All right, it is uh, 7.38 right now, just at the second, uh, here in Chicago. Uh, Starting off with sports, uh, tomorrow the Bulls are going to be playing the Nets at 7 p.m. and the Suns are going to be playing the Thunder at 9 p.m. Uh, last night, the Blackhawks won over the Stars 4-3. to three. Over to uh, Chicago weather, it's currently, uh, well, the rain's gone, but it's not really that nice still. Uh, Going to have gray skies and pretty windy day today at 38 degrees right now. Going to go up to about 43. It's high. Over in Phoenix, they're at 46 degrees. Cloudy skies as well. They're going to have a high 59. Now, finally for Chicago traffic, the major accidents... Uh, out on the Stevenson and seemed to have cleared up. Uh, but with that, the inbound traffic on the closer major expressways is heavy as usual, uh, especially if coming or leaving from the north side. Uh, expect pretty heavy delays on both ways. So that's all I got. Back to you, Chief. Do we have Mr. Flanagan? 
Morning, Tom. Hey, John. How are you? Good. You? I'm good. A lot of uh, interesting stuff talking about this morning. Learned a lot about the municipal bonds from uh, Dan. Yeah, it was great listening to Dan. Uh, it. He, knows, he knows his stuff, that dude. Uh, it's really hard to be an expert on everything in the industry. I mean, uh, I I certainly hold myself out to be an expert on options trading, which is not, you know, a lot of people don't trade any options ever uh, because I did that on the floor, and I've done that for retail people for a really long time. And I'm, you know, have maybe somewhat of a sense of the indexes because I traded the OEX for 20 years. But in regards to picking individual healthcare stocks that are trading a dollar that someday might trade a hundred, I'm not your guy. I mean, you, mean you can't really can't be everything. And it, all these things are are, are essentially a career. I mean, digging digging out the a municipal band in you know Toledo, Ohio. That's a really good one. I mean, that's that's somebody who does that all day long. And so the trick is they have. A lot of those people around you that you can trust, guys like Dan. So if somebody wants to go down that road, you can either uh, you can find out and then or, or something, and or, or actually maybe somebody really wants to do a lot of fixed income. You know, you have Dan do it for you or something. It's it, it's kind of the way to do it, and I find it's a lot better than just going with some you know some big firm that thinks they know everything about everything, but maybe they don't. Hey, uh, I heard this yesterday, and I see the thing today in my Tribune feed. Uh, she, the head of the school board yesterday was on. I listen on BBM. The Chicago Public Schools is now going to spend $76 million more on school security cameras. And this guy comes on yesterday, how much better it is. The more people you have, the more cameras you have, and the more people you have watching the cameras, the better off you are. Does anybody really want to spend $76 million on cameras and have 50 people who didn't do anything else all day but watch the cameras? I, I think that that is an absolute abortion. <laughs> well, it's, it's a complete waste of money because... Yeah. It's, it's pretty clear to me that they've got such a dwindling population of students um, that it's pretty hard to justify spending that kind of money surveilling what's going on in your schools. I would be much more impressed if they had some kind of initiative here to make the schools attractive to people so that you had people actually moving to Chicago because they like the schools so much or the, the thought oh, where the kids attend them. But none of, none of that is is ever talked about. It's, it's accepted that these schools are producing worse and worse students every year, and the test scores are plunging, and the, the cost per student doesn't go down, and the number of, of teachers on staff or administrators on staff does not go down. So w- what's the need for <laughs> for further surveillance? I, mean, I, I don't understand how you could justify spending that kind of money when you've got such wastage already. Well, what do you... Uh, there's been, for those that uh, don't know much about Chicago, and maybe a lot of people here don't know much about it. And uh, the we we we've gone through a uh, story where the where the public schools used to have, at least in the high school level. You know, I mean, Audrey went to uh, Kelly, and she was in the whatever they used to call the high program, the college prep or whatever. And I think Audrey got a very good education. Um, now that's been kind of stripped away, I think, from a lot of those schools. Uh, Jan, and now we have these schools that are the uh, what, do, what do they call them? The uh, where you, anybody can give a test to get in. They're almost like they're almost oh, like restrict, the, yeah, restricted enrollment. Yeah, restricted yeah. enrollment. They're almost like the Catholic schools in the sense that uh, Old Jones Prep, Limblum, uh, Walter Payton. It's the one on the west side. My niece went to uh, the original one, the first one. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, Whitney Young. Whitney Young. And now it's. Uh, I guess there's another one up further north, right? And now I, and north now, side prep up my way here. I think even Lincoln Park now is turned into one of those, right? Yeah, although from 
you know, my experience at Lincoln Park High School, that's for another day, I'll tell you my story about but Lincoln that's, Park that's, High. But that's been recent, the last couple of years. So it's, yeah. it's changed yeah. dramatically, the people that go there. Uh, I mean, I just, in a neighborhood when I'm out, it's, uh, it's, it's the kids are totally different than they were five years ago. Uh, but now I don't know if that's, if, if that means that the other schools, like the Kelly, like the Inglewoods and stuff, have now been degraded to the point where the none of the smart kids are there anymore. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I'm asking the question. I mean, we've made we've made some very interesting changes to the way things work in the city, and I don't know if if they're plus or minus. Jen, does anybody? No, I think uh, you know. I'm thinking now that you know, I've bashed the Chicago Teachers Union pretty regularly on this program and, and to other people in conversations, but I think we, we really need the relief I need to, to kind of fine-tune this somewhat, because I'm not down on unions per se, I'm not even down necessarily on teachers' unions per se, although I, I am, think the track record is terrible. I but, am. but look at the yeah. Chicago Union, Tom, and there's a, a documentary, you know, Local One, it's called, it's only like an hour-long documentary, and you, you can find it on chicagopublicschools.com. It just shows, you know, this has become a political action committee. It's not really one that represents their employees. It certainly doesn't represent the students' needs. And it was taken over in, in 2010 by, uh, you know, an abash- unabashedly radical faction with Karen Lewis and Jesse Sharkey and um, others that are political motivators to get the union radicalized behind an agenda that is now it's kind of like a flagship for the entire nation with the AFT. And it's by far the most, you know, the craziest, I think, of all the, the teachers' unions, and they're driving policy. And they've got a candidate, you know, in the mayoral election, Brandon Johnson, that if he gets elected, you'll have the, the Chicago Teachers' Union on one side of the bargaining table and contract negotiations, and the Chicago Teachers' Union on the other side, too. Can you imagine what the schools will look, look like then? Well, just so, just for everybody knows, and this is, I think this is common knowledge, I don't think I, I don't the Chicago Teachers is essentially running their own candidate for mayor. Yeah. And they have contributed, what are they, up to $1.2 million? Well, the AFT, I believe, has contributed $3.4 million to his campaign. So he's flush with money. It's, but, all, I mean, the Chicago it's Teachers, all AFT money. The, the guy's still on the salary, or right. consulting and, and salary. With two other, he's a county commissioner, too. But he's, and he's running, and they have paid, and now the, the rest of the people are saying, how did you spend a million, two of, of the of the union money without even asking for permission. I mean, the idea that they would run their own candidate and pay for it with that kind of dough, I, I you know what, John, I, if, if I'm sitting in Europe and I look at this, i got to go, these guys are out of their mind. How, do, how does anybody put up with this? That's well, I, insane. I can almost guarantee to you, Tom, that as soon as, you know, the city of Chicago took over the schools, that the people in, you know, the National Union, the AFT, we're licking their chops because they saw here was an opportunity. All we have to do is mobilize our rank and file and politicize them and turn the mayoral races into a, you know, an extension of our union elections. And we've got this whole thing solved. We, we will have complete control over the budget. We will, we will tax any amount we want and we'll run the schools any old way we want. And who's going to say us nay? I, I believe this was a you know a, a battle plan early on, and of course it was done in a way that that hid you know the, the political you know, movement that was underway here. But you know it's it's to me it's just a, a social socialism proxy, and it was you know called by something else to make it 
fly under the radar. Oh, it's, it's but not. It was, it was done to energize other unions too, and I think it was. It why? I mean, why would you s- played out here? Well, I mean, that's the one part you and I are always going to disagree on. Is that it has nothing to do with socialism? It has to do with power. Power, power is not. You know, well, socialism is the ultimate power grab to me, Tom. Because it, it guiles people into thinking that they're being given power and their power well, is being taken away and, and consolidated into people leaving capital- to exercise it. Alleged capitalists that really are no more monopolists, they look for political power as well. What's that? They're not socialist. I'm just well, I'm just talking about the the, the, you know, the Marxist influence radicalization of people who were singing the same tune from the same they, playlist. They will, they will it's all about power to the people. And power no, 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 it's, it's that, the top, which is, is totally that has, has nothing to do with power to the people. We're not part of those people. I know. I, I agree with you, Tom, but this is the message that they're sending, and there are enough people around well, who buy people it. Are buying it a, a force to be reckoned with. If people are buying it, they better stop reading comic books, because I'll tell you what, you can't buy that. It's, 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 I it's, wouldn't stop. It's, it's, it's bad comic book stuff. I mean, that's like so saying, that doesn't mean it doesn't yeah. play with a lot of people. It plays with enough people in the underrepresented elections we have to make a difference. That's, you know, that's, that's like saying the, the head of Amazon is a philanthropist. I mean, he might, he might give some money away to make it look good, but man, I mean, the, the, uh, it's all power. It's all power and money. Right, but, but look at the way he's treated it in his own press, you know, his newspaper. Do you think anybody takes him to test for being something other than what you and I see him as? No. No, I mean, I'm, I'm saying the, this whole thing, uh, but the, the interesting vote and that people need to be, I mean, the, the one thing you can do to this day is... Uh, if you listen to Michael Moore's uh, thing on Trump, people are going to vote for him as their last gasp because everything else has been taken away from them, and they don't believe anybody else, and it's all just a big, you know, just a government takeover. Not necessarily government. Government's allowing individual people to just take over people's stuff, which is really, I mean, uh, you look at what, you know, how many people age 35, 38, 40 have a bass boat, a little house in Wisconsin, are able to pay their bills and send their kids to college. Nobody. Yeah. Nobody. Well, I mean, Moore no. was out of something there. I give him credit for that. I don't truck with him almost everything else he says, but he's right about that. Sure. I mean, he's absolutely right. And, uh, well, you know, everybody, people that are that are bright people that you don't agree with, you actually go through their stuff. You you agree with a lot of the stuff they say. But I especially, I especially love when, was it the Iraq War? Or when we invaded, uh, must have been Iraq, where he was standing outside of Congress with a petition. The congressmen are walking in, and the petition was to have the sons and daughters of the Congress people go first. <laughs> it was asking guys to sign it. <laughs> you know, there's something to be said for that, Jack. <laughs> right? Well, but, it's, it's still going on, Tom, because the people yeah. who were beating the drum loudest for World War III with the Russians are the ones who have the least flesh in the claim. Oh, what Should we go to war, believe me? And they might they probably own a bullet factory. But the uh, anyway, but this, this thing with Chicago, the thing that is happening in Chicago, and, and, it's, and it's a drumbeat, you had somewhat of a... Of a a, uh, shall we say a, t- a timeout period with this West Loop and McDonald's and Google and these people all moving here. And now I think McDonald's looking to move back, right, or look, yeah. move out again. And and so, but you look at the, the population, this constant 50, 60, 80,000 people leaving every year. Yeah, the, the teachers' union is going to be the, the only people left here is going to be the teachers' union. And they don't care if they are, Tom. That's just what they want. Well, there is. Believe the, me. And then, then you'll see, you know, you know, Detroit as, as our model. It will be 
it will take us generations to ever build back from that, and maybe it, it will never happen. But the, the people engineering this don't care about that. That's what they want. I don't know. But they, but they, it, they, it strikes you and I as crazy. But, but it's very <laughs> short-sighted. It may be okay if they're, if they're 55, they might be able to hang in there for the next seven years till they retire, but it's not a long-term situation. You can't, you, you can't as, as the, uh, you know, I, I can't find these on YouTube, John, but you're, you're old enough a fart to remember. Remember the guy who owned the Button Company? He used to do commercials. I can't remember his name. I don't remember I his remember name. The commercials, remember the commercials? And the guy used to come in, and he, he, owned, he owned a button company. And he'd give a little bit of a history of buttons. And uh, he would talk about how it's a third-generation place. And for him to manage it properly, the people who work there have to be happy. The customers have to be happy. The shareholders have to be happy. The, the neighborhood he's in has to be happy. If you're going to be there for three generations on the long term, you, you have to make sure that everybody is accounted for. And... Obviously, we have people, we talked about, you know, it used to be that the CEOs that were paid every quarter bonus or every year bonus, they they were not driven towards the future. So, okay, then we had ways of, we're going to give them stock to drive them towards the future. Well, now all of a sudden they, they cheat on the stock with the bonuses and then buy the stock back and get rid of their stocks so and now they don't have it anymore. I mean, it's, it's a big bunch of crap. But people constantly know, the Chicago Teachers Union can't win. Matter of fact, I had... Uh, the guy who was the head of the Chicago Peaches Union Pension Fund on the air probably 10 years ago. My, one of my worst interviews ever. The guy, and I was getting nothing but emails later, but the chief can hang around with all his rich pals. Is that you? One of my rich pals? Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. Is it, all he wants, he doesn't understand, like, the other people. Well, I'll tell you what. I, I'm going to put myself up against anybody who understands how the regular people live. I mean, you know who the people I hang around with and who I talk to. I mean, the idea... His, his, I asked him. I said, "You know, you got to be careful on this pension stuff because if 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 you if you drive it to the extreme, and there's only one guy left in Chicago, or there's not a teacher, you better be very wealthy." And he goes, "People always have enough money to pay up. It's just a question of the city going and getting it out of them." It was was exactly what he said. Well, that's, that's the mindset you're dealing yeah. with. And these people are, you know, completely divorced from reality. But you know, that doesn't mean that they're not going to get their way in, in the long run. Uh, and everybody else will tell them it will be short-sighted and it shouldn't have gone this way. I, I think they're going to get broke then. So I think they, they get their yeah. way They get their way in the short run. Well, for example, there's a, a thing in this documentary I was just mentioning where the, the CTU purchased a you know a high-rise apartment building at, I think, Dearborn and Chestnut. This is sometime back in the 80s, maybe. And the, the design at the time was this would be retirement living, sort of like the cheap retirement living for retired teachers. And this is kind of like, I think, what you have unions for. You know, it's to bank in the event of a strike, you got some kind of support money for your members, or if you could take care of them after they're retired or make life more pleasant for them. And they've all contributed to this with their dues. You, you should give them something back for what they did. Um, so the idea was, here's this investment that the teachers someday when they're old and unworking, not working anymore, will live here. And instead, the CTU sold the building, you know, made a fair amount of cash on it because it's prime real estate, and built a new headquarters over at Carroll and Damon on the west side. Unbelievable building. I'd like to know what construction company got the contracts, what architect got oh, it, yeah. the maintenance contracts, everything else. Well, a union that would do that, you know, to take an asset purchase for one purpose and without, as far as I know, anybody ever voting on it in the rank and file, threw it away and pocketed the money and spent it on something that is the last thing the teachers need is a fancy headquarters when the product of turning out is an embarrassment. By the way, uh, 
if you ever, if you ever got out of the sack drawer thing some night and met me at a couple of my places, I actually know a bunch of architects that do all this work. I could get all those answers for you. <laughs> well, we might have to like keep them in a separate black book and never talk about it again. Well, that's that's true. <laughs> yeah, I, but I, uh, you know, I, the thing of it is, Jan, is it, and, you know, people listen to the show. They say, okay, we're talking to Lou about one thing. We're talking to Dan about something else. Municipal bands talking to Jan about something else. The thing of it is, Jan, in my in my crazy mind, all this stuff flows together. You have an amazing amount of infrastructure issues in the city of Chicago, and now all of a sudden, do you really want to have an extension of the red line if you, if the downtown area is dead? I mean, if you if you're going to lose eighty thousand people a year for the next ten years, going to cause to build this thing, is there really even a need for it? Or are you going to force people onto the homeless and crime ridden? Red line on the south side. Who the hell wants to ride on that? I mean, so these are every one of these things comes together. And one of the guys here in the building uh, uh, was a building engineer. His son uh, lives on the south side. He goes to one of the charter schools. And evidently, the kid is doing great, and so is the charter school. Now, the, the union hates these charter schools, right? And they can't wait to put them under. Uh, now, is that the new mayor? Is that going to be his job to put them under and force these people back into the public schools? Well, if it's Brandon Johnson, it will be. Yeah. yeah. Now, I think in the, in the charter schools, tr- correct me if I'm wrong. The, the money, since it's not denominated with a religion, which is another issue in my mind, the money that normally goes, say if 17 grand goes to a high school or 18 grand, it goes to Whitney Young and follows every student, which I think is the way they work it. But then the facilities are, are a separate budget, correct? So, right. the, so that 18 grand will follow you to a charter school. But the charter school has to have investors, I mean, not for profit investors, but chair, whatever, whoever. In other words, they, they have to take care of the facility themselves, right? Even though right. the. So, and the teachers, are those teachers in the union or not? No. They're not? Okay. I don't think they are. I mean, you know, I'm not there positive. has been a movement to unionize them, and of course, um, the, the owners of the charter schools have fought that too. And, and by the way, the, the way the charter schools have played out is not the answer to all these problems. No, Because no. you've got people disconnected from any wisdom about education running these things, and they see it as a profit center too. So they're kind of at the public trough, and they're not putting back what, people would hope they would. I don't say that as a blanket combination no, no. of them, but it, it definitely has not been the success that I think everybody hoped it would be. Well, the Catholic schools, for a real long time, were the answer, until now they're so expensive that most kids can't afford them. Right, so you have you have this competing kind of stuff going, and um, as to why some percentage of that money, I mean, I you know, I'm, I'm all for separating church and state, but you can't tell me that the Catholic schools don't do some sort of a service, and even if the number is not seventeen grand, if you can't flip them five grand for the basic math and reading skills that they do provide, that you don't have to, I think that's a little insane. John, I, mean, I always have. I mean, in Canada, wherever you, wherever you go, if it's an accredited Catholic school, the money that would go to the public school follows you there. So, I mean, we're the only ones here that seem to think education is part of religion. I, I'm not saying you should pay for the religion classes, but. The idea that you get not a dime is a little bizarre in my mind. But to me, it's just ironic. I mean, it's a slap in the face if, you get, if you're parents and you got a kid and you want to give them the best chance they have in their education opportunities. You got a school system here, the public school system, that is, is just you know a laughable version of that. And you've got schools that are struggling to stay open. And you've, there's no way that voucher program, I don't think, is going to fly. Certainly not with the kind of lobbying we got here. But you're right. If, if you really, you know cared about educating your kids, you find some way to do this so that you don't tax the Catholic schools would to be support schools that nobody wants to attend. Catholic schools would be orgasmic if you gave them five grand instead of 17. 
Well, we have a lot more Catholic yeah. schools instead of consolidating yeah. or closing them left and right. So, so I mean, it's a, it's an issue, and, and the thing of it is, nobody seems to be concerned at all about the people that are leaving, and they're leaving from the same areas. I mean, what Tilton Tech is used to have sixteen hundred kids; they're down to what two hundred, one hundred and fifty, and the place is still open. And what what kind of a drain is that in anybody's budget? Well, I think, I think Hirsch High School has four hundred students. That's, that's what a hundred students in a class. How many classrooms are you know freshman sophomore? I mean, the, the building is a, bl- a block long. So you got to tell me that you know school system that, that thinks that people are going to continue to support this kind of operation. How many kids? Uh, some dream world. I still I have that thing around here somewhere. I have a, a piece of paper, but how many? You can, all, you can find if you know the name of a high school and you, and you Google it, you come up with. You know, well, how many people are in a how many people? enrollment and you know the history of it and everything else? But I mean, it's truly shocking, Tom. How many people are in CBS? Thing had to be well, a couple uh, thousand. Used to have, what, like three thousand or something. Yeah. Is it down? Is it under a thousand? I mean, things like two blocks long. It's huge. Right, and had a community, the you know, Southeast Junior College, you know, was a head of campus there too. Um, but you know, all these buildings were were built at a time when the schools were reputable enough that people were perfectly happy sending their kids there. That now, I mean, I think if you're a parent who cares about your kid's education, you would flee from these places. Well, I'm one thing about high school. That was a great high school in the state. Well, she was valedictorian, believe it or not. And it was integrated. I mean, it was yeah, oh yeah, it's it totally was, integrated. You know, kind of. You know, we, we people today have, have have trouble envisioning this, but you know, the public schools generally they were more integrated than a lot of the naysayers said they were. Well, they, were, they were offered a, a better education. Than the how the housing was not integrated, but the schools were. Right, which is kind of weird. John, thank you very much. So I'll get you next week, if not sooner. SP Futures up nineteen. The SP Futures up one twenty-seven. We made back the, the little blip down we, we did with the GDP announcement. So we're eh, we're not at the high today, but we're pretty close. Back tomorrow, stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks is brought to you by PTI Securities and Futures. Go to ptisecurities.com. PTI Pro Direct. Trade for as low as a penny per share and a dollar per option contract. Learn more at ptiprodirect.com. Nadex. Offering an intuitive way to trade the financial markets. Visit Nadex.com. Home Source Realty. Call Audrey Johnson at 708-349-3456. Hamzi Analytics. Listen to Fari Hamzi every other Thursday and visit HamziAnalytics.com. Cairo Med. Back or neck pain? Schedule a complimentary consultation by calling 708-403-2727. Dax Research. Tune in for David Andelman's technical analysis on Mondays and Thursdays and call 1-800-821-4968.